sun comes up I'm driving when the sun goes down The hum of 18 wheels Lord, that's a lonely sound I spend all day Chasing that old white line I've been on the road so long I've lost track of time Now it don't matter where I'm going I just gotta drive I have the white line fever to the day that I died I said 18 wheels Hey friends, this is Gary Rayburn of Lonesome Road Ministries And we got an awesome program for you I know you're going to enjoy it today And you're going to want to get more copies of this So... Give us a call, 618-383-2107, or log on to lonesomeroad.org. Or you can email me at gary.lonesomeroad at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Now sit back, listen, and enjoy today's program from Lonesome Road Ministries, Church on the Road. Give us a call. We look forward to hearing from you. I keep those wheels to turn in. Town to town, there's so much I gotta see. I gotta look around. I got diesel smoke rolling from two chrome stacks. My address is 408 414, a big blue mag. Now it don't matter where I'm going, I just gotta drive. I have the white line fever to the day. Friends, this is Chapin Gary Rayburn, Lonesome Road Ministries, and we got a program today that I know you're going to enjoy. This is one that has been requested over and over and over again, and we've had to get it out and resurrect this testimony of a former Hell's Angel. So listen carefully, enjoy this, and then become part of Lonesome Road Ministries by passing this on to someone else down the road. Psalms chapter 40. And while you're turning to Psalms chapter 40, may I say this to you. I'm not here. God knows my heart. I am not here tonight to advertise the devil. And the reason I'm not here to advertise the devil is because he's getting all the free publicity he can use. I've come here to tell you tonight that there's a God in heaven that can still turn you around. I'm here to tell you tonight that it does make a difference what you believe. I'm here to tell you tonight that the same God that loved me and loves me is the God that loves you. I'm here to tell you tonight that yes, I'll accept the compliment of your pastor. And I do not say this braggadociously, 
nor to be guilty of a grandizement, but I am a trophy of God. But not only am I a trophy of God, if you are saved by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, you too are one of God's trophies. And God not only wants to show me off, He wants to show all of His kids off. I believe God's proud of us, amen. And I believe it's high time that we showed this lost and dying world that God is proud of you. In Psalms chapter 40, I find myself here with the words of Brother David under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 2, He, referring to the Lord of glory, He brought me up also out of a horrible pit. Out of the miry clay, and He set my feet upon a rock and uh, established my goings. I like the plurality of, of goings. He had put a new song in my mouth. Hallelujah. Yesterday it was honky-tonk. But today it's amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but thank God I can see. I can see what the lost man can't see, amen. But there he has given me a new song, even praise unto our God. Listen to him. Many shall see it and fear and trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man that maketh the Lord his trust and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. David said, he brought me up out of a horrible pit. I wanted to sing so much tonight on Hello Mama. Because of the godliness of, of my mother. My mother was saved late in her life and for eight and a half years she prayed, God, save my kids. And God, especially, do something with my Jimmy. I realize, I realize that it's hard for you to visualize that I was everything, anything but a good-looking, well-mannered Baptist preacher. I realize it's hard for you to say, you mean to tell me that red-headed, uh, fat rascal used to be the president of the Hell's Angel? Well, may I say something to you, beloved? It's even hard for me to realize. And I'm glad that God changed me. I get the biggest kick out of a lot of the meetings there. They'll come visiting the church and, and uh, they'll walk in the door. And I like to greet folks. Now, how many of you have I had the privilege to greet and say, welcome, good to see you? And it tickles me. I've, I've had them come in the door and come up to me and say, where is he? And I'll say, where's you? Where's that, where's that hell's angel? And I'll tell them, go on in, you'll see him in a little while. I, I venture to say they think they must be bringing me up in a cage and they'll let me out with a long chain and a collar, but I, I've got news for you. I believe with all of my heart when God comes in on the inside, it makes a difference on the outside. I'm glad I don't look like a hell's angel because I'm not a hell's angel. I'm a child of God, and I'm glad to be that. 
I would to God that I could say that was always the case. I've just been saved 16 years. And for 15 and a half years, I've been preaching the gospel that Jesus saves. But let me just go back a little bit. Let me just take you back with me and share a few of the highlights of my lost life. I would to God that all of you would learn one thing. If you learn anything else, learn this. Satan never does anything drastically. Did you hear me? Satan never does anything drastically. It's always subtle, cunning, progressive, continuous. And then when you realize that Satan has got his claws on you, many times, many times, you feel that you're at the point of no return. But I've got good news for you, neighbor. Maybe you're here tonight and you feel like you crossed over and you've passed the point of no return. I've got good news for you. It's not too late for you. Jesus still loves you and he's made a place. <laughs> I'll tell you, he's made a place just for you. $75 a day shooting up in drugs. $75 a day shooting up in these arms and sometimes in my feet. But it all started out with a reefer. And before you think that this pastor has invited a heretic here, let me tell you something. I enjoyed getting high. I enjoyed the effects of marijuana, Mary Jane's, reefers, joint, whatever you want to call it. And the reason I say that to you is because you need to understand something. This Bible that I hold dearly in my hand teaches me and will teach you that sin has its pleasure for a little while. But my friend James said, sin, when it is completed, bring it forth death. You see, the devil will always start it out looking good, but I've got news for you. Somewhere down the road, it'll turn out bad. Satan always starts something out exciting. Interesting, alluring, inviting, but somewhere down the road, it's almost inescapable. And so it was in my life. I started with a reef, and I was smoking so much grass that it was literally tearing up my throat, and so I went on other things. I started dropping acid. And I venture to say in the course of my drug life, I must have had 300 trips, at least 300 trips, of LSD. And you need to understand something that are here tonight. We think about drugs being alienated from us. But it would literally break your heart if you knew tonight how many right here are using drugs. It would break your heart, mom and dad, if you realized and knew how many, how many times your kids have been, been, been offered to turn on. Drugs is epidemic in this world of ours today. And young person, hear me. And by the way, not only young people, I mean all people. We've got an epidemic today of the Cadillac of drugs and it's cocaine and crack. And I've got news for you. In order for you to be safe from it, you need never touch it. 
because I'm glad it's called dope because you must be a dope in order to mess with dope. Started with a reefer and it wound up with a needle. When I first started smoking grass, I knew, I knew there's no way would I ever start mainlining it. And the greatest philosophy Satan has is that you can handle it. Did you hear me? The greatest philosophy that Satan dupes us with is you can handle it and it'll never happen to you. And if he can get you to start it, it won't be long before he'll destroy you with it. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 27 says, Neither give place to the devil. Now I realize many of you have never messed with drugs. And I don't want to embarrass you. You know, I get to preaching so fast, sometimes I'll catch myself crapping you. I was preaching in Kentucky. <laughs> and I was ignorant, young preacher. And I preached the message on tobacco and bourbon in Kentucky. And I was preaching real hot and heavy, and I said quickly, and they didn't realize what it was coming on. I said, how many of you, how many of you here are addicted to cigarettes? Raise your hand. And about 15 of them, then they took it down like, <laughs> I don't want to embarrass you. But let me say this to you. You did not start out being addicted to tobacco. It started out with one cigarette. How many remember the first time you inhaled it? Lord have mercy, you began to strangle, seen black spots come out in front of you, but then it wasn't long before you mastered it. I mean, you could inhale it, you could blow smoke rings, I mean, you, you became a professional until you tried to quit it. In that meeting, I, I believe it was Shepherdsville, Kentucky with Bill Scott. In that meeting, I was preaching, and after the meeting, there was a well-dressed, looked like a farmer. He had on a pair of bib overhauls and a starched white shirt. I mean, he looked good. And he had a pack, many of you don't know what it is, but he had a pack of old bull Durham in that pocket of his bib overhauls. And I seen him waiting to see me, and I looked and saw that bull Durham. He got up to me, finally he said, I want to tell you <coughs> something, <coughs> creature. He said, uh, I enjoyed, <laughs> I enjoyed your preaching, but I've got one thing again you. And I said, Lord, have mercy, what's that? He said, well, you know, when you got on that smoker, smoker, smoking, he said, I have, you know, <laughs> I've been smoking, smoking lots. 20 years and it ain't bothered me yet <clears throat> I want you to know something neighbor we need to realize that sin is sin and we need to understand something that Satan is a master in making us a slave to sin you start out with one cigarette, wind up smoking two and three packs of cigarettes, and when you want to throw it away, you can't throw it away because that little piece of white paper filled with chopped tobacco, you have become a slave to it. And we need to understand that Satan makes slaves, but Jesus makes saints. From a needle 
from a reaper to a needle. How'd you become a president of the Hells Angels, Jim? Similar way. Started out slow. Ended up out of control. In a stupor, slobbering drunk in Forest Park, one of the biggest parks in our nation in St. Louis, Missouri. Slobbering drunk, wrong side of the road. Come around the corner and hit a car head on and total my car. And I needed some cheap transportation. And so I, the only cheap transportation I knew anything about, I thought I'll buy myself a motorcycle. So I got myself over to a Honda dealer. And I went in that place and told him my plight of woe. And he said, well, have you ever rode a motorcycle before? And I said, no, sir. He said, well, I've got just what you need. He took me out the back and he introduced me to a big, bad, mean, hot, fast Honda 160. Now, if all you've ever been on your life is a bicycle, a Honda 160 is big, bad, mean, hot, and fast. This boy was about the size of uh, Dr. Rudisell. Tall. He got on that Honda 160. Now, mind you, I weighed 254 pounds. He got on that Honda 160, and he told me to get on the back. Lord, have mercy. I had about that much. So like an idiot, I got on the back and hunched up against him and put my arms around him, felt like a fairy. He took off on that Honda 160 and began to explain to me the working mechanisms of that, that motorcycle. He showed me how to operate the clutch and how to push the gear down and low and kick it back up in the gears. And after he rode around about six or seven times, he said, you think you got it? And I said, yeah, I think so. He stopped that Honda 160, he got off, and I slid to the front. I said, come on, get on the back. He said, uh-uh. <laughs> he said, you go ahead, now watch. Well, if you've ever tried to ride a bike, I killed the thing about three or four times trying to get it to go forward. And finally, I got that thing, and man, I was riding around in circles. I mean to tell you, I, I felt like a professional. I went in, signed some papers, and bought that big, bad, mean, hot, fast Honda 160 and took off. I pulled out of the driveway of that dealership on Lindbergh Boulevard. And if you know anything about the suburbs of St. Louis, that's one of the busiest streets in the city, or the suburbs of the city. I made a right, and lo and behold, I no sooner made the right that there was a stoplight, and it turned and it stopped me. I knew everybody would be scared to death of me on that big, bad, mean, hot, fast Honda 160. Car pulled alongside of me, and I was going to be impressive. And so I didn't. How many motorcycle riders do we have here in this building tonight? You've rode a bike. Come on. How many of you, when you get to a stop sign, go, good, good, come on? Yeah, all of us do. You don't have to do that. That thing will run without you. I'm not sure. Maybe you like the vibration on your hind side. I'm not sure what it is. But anyway, I was there at the stop sign, and a car pulled up, and I knew I'd scare it. So I did, 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 and I shut it down, and I heard, <laughs> well, that was not the reaction I thought would take place. And so I thought, maybe I'll race a little bit higher. I'd like to blew that thing up. Did, 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 and I shut it down, and I heard, <laughs> well, I wasn't about to look over there. I thought, those are maniacs over there in that car, so, so I took off. All of us, with our vain nature, we just can't wait to see how we look with something new. 
Whether it be a new suit or a lady with a new dress, can't wait to see how you look in your new outfit. Same was the case with me. I could not wait to see how cool I looked on that big, bad, mean, hot, fast Honda 160. Going down into the downtown St. Louis and in, in, the, in the metropolitan area, it's loaded with plate glass windows. And I couldn't wait to see how good I looked. Get the picture, honey. A little Honda 160, 254 pounds of big red. I got to the area where I could get a good look at me. One look, man, and I knew why they were laughing back there at that stoplight. God, as my witness, I looked like baby Huey on a tricycle. There was stuff hanging off of that bike that shouldn't have been hanging off, and the embarrassing part about it, it was me that was doing the hanging. I was so frustrated and embarrassed, I went right back to that dealership. I pulled into that dealership, and the man came out and said, well, you got a problem with your motorcycle? I said, yes. He said, well, what's wrong with it? I said, there ain't nothing wrong with it, but I'm surprised. It's moving. He said, what do you mean? I said, why didn't you tell me I looked this ridiculous? He said, listen to me, friend. You're a novice rider. We start you out with something small. I said, I'm not riding this thing ever again. I was embarrassed. Pride swelled up within me. He said, well, I'll tell you what. I've got a Honda 450 over there. I said, well, anything's better than this. I got on that Honda 450, and that Honda 450 operated the same way that Honda 160 did, except it was higher. I'm Jap, man. They need to learn how to make those bikes lower to the ground. You know, when you got to... Uh, by the way, folks, I am not fat. I'm stunted. I'm supposed to be eight feet tall, amen. But, I did. but anyway, I got on that Honda 450 and felt like a fat ballerina up on my tippy toes, you know, trying to operate it. And I went around a couple times in a circle, nothing to it. I went in and signed some papers and swapped that Honda 160 and bought that Honda 450. I pulled out on the same driveway, made a right, and guess what? That stop sign caught me again. Car pulled along side of me. I thought, well, <laughs> now that sounds a bit different than that Honda 160, a little deeper. Bin, bin, bin. And I shut it down and no one laughed. I knew I hadn't scared to death. So I got a brainstorm. I'm going to race them. I didn't have any idea the difference in a Honda 160 and a Honda 450. So I began to watch the stoplight on the opposite direction of the traffic. It was green, and when it turned yellow, I began to race the engine. When my light turned green, I popped the clutch, and that thing was straight up in the air. I thought that was over with. So I rode that Honda 450. Sitting at the breakfast table, reading the one ads, I saw a man had a Harley Davidson. A Harley Hog, if you please. He said he'd sell it or swap it. I went out and looked at it, and I swapped that Honda 450, and I bought me a knucklehead, a Harley Davidson 1000 Super Glide. Man, I thought I was the cat's meow. I rode it for the season and then got a brainstorm. I'll build me a chopper. I had got some magazines from California, the Cycles of California, and I saw those fancy motorcycles, and so I said, I'll build me a chopper. I would have got I had some time here. Anyway, my little sweet wife, she's not here tonight. I would to God you could meet my little lady. She is a lady, always has been a lady, still is and will, always will be. But she never had anything in her life. And I had just, I had just got her her first little lovely apartment. And it was an apartment complex, and the apartment was right off the grass. I mean, it came right off of the lawn, and it was a beautiful little place. She is so happy with it. And it had a yellow gold shag carpet in the living room, just lovely. 
And when I was getting ready to shut that bike down for the season, I rode that motorcycle to the front door and raced the engine. And she came and opened the door and she's saying, what do you want? I said, open the door, I'm coming in. I rode that Harley Davidson into that living room of my apartment. And I shut her down and she said, what in the world are you going to do? I said, I'm going to build me a chocolate. She said, where? I said, right here. Well, I can't tell you the choice words that she said because it wouldn't be fitting in church. It wouldn't be fitting in the alley. But anyway, she was a little bit upset, to say the least. And I began to take every nut, bolt, and washer, and I stripped that thing all the way down. By the time I got all the parts off that I wanted to have chrome, I had over $600 in chrome, $300 in a paint job. And just to make a long story short, finally the chrome was ready, the paint was ready, and I began to put that Harley-Davidson back together again, piece by piece, bit by bit. And finally, it was all put together. I remember the night when I was ready to fire it up to see what it sounded like. I got on that thing and stuck my key in that chrome magneto. I advanced the spark all the way, and I got me some pressure on that old kickstarter. And I kicked through it, and that thing made a noise like... And I thought, man, this thing ain't ever going to run. Then I realized I forgot to put gas and oil in the dumb thing. Everything was new, and so... I went and got me some gas and oil, and, and I tickled the carburetor. I had an S&S carburetor with a six-inch velocity stack sticking off the jugs of that thing. For the benefit of you ladies, tickling a carburetor doesn't mean get you get you you. I tickled that carburetor so I made sure I had some gas in it, and I knew I had some gas in it because out of that six-inch velocity stack, the gas started pouring out on that car. I stuck the key in, turned it on, the magneto, I advanced the spark. I kicked that, got me some pressure on that kickstarter. And I went through that kickstart, and that thing exploded. Boom! Shot a flame across the room, and there I was in the middle of my living room. Boom, 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 boom. To this day, God is my witness. I look back, boom, boom, and the little picture frames was vibrating on the wall. I look back, and my wife back there. I still know what she said to this day, but I backed it up, and I got out and went riding on my brand new chopper. I rode it that night, and the next day I couldn't wait to take it on the street and show it off. So I wanted to play the part, and so I went to a a leather store. And I walked into the store and I asked the fellow, I said, listen, I'm looking for a buckskin coat. I've got myself a new bike out there and I want a buckskin coat. Back then in the 60s, it was popular to have a buckskin coat. He said, man, I've got just what you need. But I've had this thing back there so long, I can't get rid of it and I think it'll fit you. Wise guy. Anyway, I went back there and it was a 52. This coat was a 52 and I put it on and man, it was just what the doctor ordered. It had peace symbols on both of the front and a great big peace symbol with a broken cross on the back and it had buckskin hanging off there a foot off the sleeve. Had buckskin. How many of you ever know what, uh, uh, wore a buckskin coat? You know what I'm talking about by buckskin coat. It had slithered buckskin all on the front and the sleeves was all back and I thought it was the prettiest thing I ever had and I bought it, got on my motorcycle and started out to ride on Highway I-70. I got out there on I-70 and I cranked that chopper of mine up and I hit about 30, 40, 50 miles an hour and all of a sudden about 50 miles an hour a strange thing started taking place. Those buckskins started flipping. They were smacking me in the face and I was trying to dodge the buckskin. Don't ever ride a buckskin coat on a motorcycle. That very day while riding that brand new chopper, two grubby young men saw me and I saw them and they spun around on their bikes and I mean they was really getting down to catch up with me. They finally caught up with me and asked me to pull over, and I pulled off to the side of the road, and they began to ask me all, all kind of questions, where I uh, got my uh, Springer front end and my S&S carburetor, who did the paint job, who did the chrome work, just all kind of questions. 
And I was enjoying telling him who did what, how much it cost me. And then one of the young men said, uh, say, bud, who do you ride with? I said, what do you mean? He said, well, who do you ride with? Do you ride with anybody local? I said, no, I'm a loner. He said, man, with a scoot like that, you need to get with one of the gangs, one of the clubs, so you can set post, ride front, and take the gang or take the, the, the group on into the, the races and the other activities. I said, no, I'm a lone rider. I said goodbye. They said goodbye, and I started back home. On my way home, I determined I'll not ever join a club, but I'll begin the Hells Angels of St. Louis, Missouri. The next day, I started riding and started looking, introducing myself, telling them what I wanted to do. And in a matter of months, listen to me, in a matter of two to three months, I had 65 grown men known as the Hells Angels of St. Louis, Missouri. I got a written permission from the uh, original group at the Oakland, uh, California, where they originated from. When I got permission, the president at that time was in prison, put away for manslaughter. Since that time, he's now dead and gone. But I became the president of the Hells Angels of St. Louis, Missouri. Two of the most asked questions in my ministry are this. What were the initiations? And did you ever kill? Did you ever personally kill anybody? To those two questions, there's no way in God's earth could I tell you what the initiations were because of the ungodliness, because of the inhumane treatment that I afflicted on those men in order to become a, a hell's angel of St. Louis. Did I ever kill a man? That's only between me and God, and I'm not certain. But I do know this. And by the way, how many of you church prayed for Steve Hill? I asked you to pray for Steve Hill. I called. I called about him. And they got him out of Houston, Texas, just before the banditos fulfilled their contract to kill him. He is now living safely in a home in Florida and rejoicing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Brother, I'm glad God's on my side. I'm thankful that God loves me. I don't understand his love. I don't understand his love. Someone says, well, preacher, I don't understand why God would love you either. Let me tell you something. You better thank God that God loves you. There I was, the president of the Hell's Angel, leading 65 men, had nine men as my lieutenants and bodyguards. I'll share one incident. There's so much more, and I would to God I had more of the taste. I found out through the underground or through my gang, through the lieutenants, that one of the young men was going to try to overthrow my position. And in a gangland affair like that, it is a survival of the fittest. I found out that they were going to overthrow, at least this one young man was going to try to overthrow my position. And we were out on a weekend, and I can't go into detail what that involves, but we were out in a wooded area with all the troops. There was at least 60 bikers there, and the women usually tagged along riding on the, on the back of the bikes, and some would come in the station wagons, and they'd carry the beer and the barbecue and the charcoal and whatever have you. In this weekend excursion, I had this young man brought before the council. And I asked him in front of the men, do you have intentions of overthrowing my position? He denied it until I brought the lieutenant who heard him say it. And when the lieutenant stood, one of my bodyguards stood in front of him and said, you're a liar. You did have intentions. Then he began to back down. He began to apologize and say he was kidding. Let me show you how warped you can get. I took that young man and I took spike nails 
five-inch spike nails, and I nailed him to a tree. I nailed him one hand, I nailed him with another hand, and split his legs, and nailed him with his feet, and left him there. The only way he could become unsecured from that tree is to pull those nails uh, through his hands. I've seen people on drugs. I saw a lady give birth to a baby while trying to shoot herself in the vein, and her veins were collapsed, and she gave birth to a child, and we laughed in hilarity. We took young, one young man for part of the initiations and put him in the trunk of a 1946 Buick, and in the trunk with him, we threw in a live skunk and came back two days later and let him out. He came out of there like a madman, and he had ripped that skunk in two with his bare hands and had to have rabies shot because the skunk not only shot off its fumes, but it bit me. Is it any wonder that I ask for your prayers as some of the things come through my mind of the life that I once lived? I'm glad you don't know what God knows. And before you become too pious, you ought to thank God that I don't know what God knows about you. But one thing I do know about God, God is in the saving business. You see, if I was to evaluate my life and look at some of the things that I've done and some of the things that I've participated in, I'd convince myself or come to the conclusion that God can't save me. But I've got good news for you and I've got good news for me. Paul said that he was the chief of sinners and God saved the chief. If God can save the worst, he can save the least. Let me hurry. Let me tell you how I got saved. I shared with a couple people, and I don't mean to be clickish. I think it's sinful. But if there's a certain group in the church tonight that holds a very special place in my heart, it's these gray-haired senior saint mamas. I mean, you're special to me. I had one man introduce me to his mama. She's in her 90s. And I had to hold myself back to hug her little neck. I'll tell you, I, I just love the senior saints. The reason I love them so much is because of my conversion. How did I get saved? I attributed by the instrument of a radical, fanatical, Bible-thumping Baptist mother. Thank God for her prayers, and thank God for her persistency, and thank God for her determination. My mom was saved late in life, and after she got saved and realized she was going to heaven and her kids were going to hell, she prayed, God save my kids. I mean, she wouldn't eat a crust of bread without asking God, God save my Eddie, God save my Sharon, and please God. Save my Jimmy. She was so broken. You see, my mom and daddy were great people. Greatest mom and dad that ever walked the face of the earth. By the way, I don't want to qualm with you. I believe everybody ought to feel that your mom and dad's the best mom and dad that ever walked the face of the earth. Come to me and talk about the old lady and the old man. I'm liable to smack you. They never were my old lady and my old man. They've always been my mama and always been my daddy. I have great respect for my mom and daddy. Even though I was living a notorious life, still loved them. I remember going down and seeing my mama riding that Harley-Davidson down there into her community, and that thing was so loud that she knew I was coming a block or so before I ever got to the door. And every time I'd come, she'd be waiting at the door. I'd pull that mo motorcycle up, and she'd be there waving at me. I'd shut her down and come in, and she'd open the door. She'd walk me right to the kitchen table. She'd set me down, and she'd go get a pot of coffee and pour me a cup of coffee. After she pours that cup of coffee, she'd wrap her little old wrinkled hand and arm around me, and she'd say, Honey, i got something I want to ask you. I'd say, what's that, Mama? She'd say, Jim, when are you going to come and go to church with me? I told Mama, I said, Mom, that's not for me. I don't believe in church, don't need church, and as far as you and Dad going, that's fine. But I'm not going. 
She'd look a little bit disturbed, a little bit brokenhearted, and I'd drink my coffee and talk a little while. She'd walk me to the door. She'd kiss me. She'd say, honey, come back and see me again soon. I'd get on that motorcycle and I'd take off. Maybe another week would pass by and I'd ride down thinking about my mother, so I'd ride that bike down to see my mother. There she'd be at the door every time. She'd be at the door. I'd shut her down. She'd have that little hand. She'd be waving at me. She'd open the door. When I'd get there, she'd walk me in, walk me to that kitchen table. She'd run and get the coffee pot. She'd pour me a cup of coffee. She'd put a little arm around me and say, Honey, I got something to ask you. I'd say, What's that, Mom? Jimmy, when are you going to come go to church with me? I said, Mom, you don't understand. I don't want church. I don't like church. And as far as I'm concerned, I'll never need church. So, Mom, do me a favor. Don't ask me. I don't want to hurt you. Don't ask me about church again. And she'd look sad and she'd sit down and drink a cup of coffee with me. We'd talk a little while, talk about my sister, talk about my brother. And I'd get up and say, well, Mom's time to go. And she'd walk me out to the door. She'd kiss me. She'd say, honey, hurry back. And I'd get on that motorcycle and there she'd be and she'd wait by. And I'd ride on back. Another week or two, and I went back to my mother again. There she was at the door, very same routine. She opened the door, welcomed me, was glad to see me. She said, come on in, honey, let's have a cup of coffee. Sat down at that kitchen table, the same chair. She went and got that old pot, poured me a cup of coffee, took that pot back, came in and put her arm around me. Said, honey, I got something to ask you. What, Mom? Won't you please? Won't you please come to the church with your mom and daddy? But that I couldn't stand it anymore. I jumped up and overthrew the table, turned her little kitchen table upside down, and I began to cuss. I began to cuss her church. I began to cuss Jesus. I told her I didn't need that garbage, and I asked you not to ask me again, and I don't know what I'm going to do to get it through with you. You can take that stinking church and keep it. I don't need that blankety-blank stuff. When I started cussing and cussing her, Lord, I'll never forget it as long as I live. It haunts me to this day. I can still right now see her falling down on her knees and begin to openly weep bitterly and start crying out out loud, God, don't kill my boy. He doesn't mean it. He doesn't know what he's saying. And I left her, and she's kneeling on the floor of the living room there, crying. I mean, weeping and calling out to God, don't kill him. And I slammed the door. She didn't walk me out to the door that day. And I took off. Oh, I felt what? I felt so miserable because I love my mama. I felt so little, so no good, so low down, and I took off. I went home. Sometimes during that day, my brother called mother. They were talking for a little while, and it wasn't long before my mother said, Eddie, my brother, Eddie, when are you going to come go to church with me? My brother, in order to get mom off his back, said, Mom, by the way, how's Jim doing? When he said, how's Jim doing, she began to cry. She said, honey, I don't know what I'm going to do. I love you kids so much. And all I want you to do is to come to church and get saved so we can be in heaven together. But oh, Eddie, your brother Jim, I believe he's just too far gone. His motorcycle has become his God. They hung up. Right after they hung up, my brother couldn't wait to get me on the telephone. He got me on the telephone and said, hey, what's going on, Jimbo? I said, what's happening, Eddie? He said, man, what's this I hear? You're bound down praying to your motorcycle. I thought he was high. I said, man, what are you talking about? I said, man, I just talked to mother. And mama said, 
Your motorcycle is your God. I said, oh, man. I said, we had a fight. She tried to get me to go to church. She said she asked me all the time. I said, yeah, but Eddie, I really made a fool of myself. I turned the table upside down. I cussed. I wondered if Mom's still around. I broke her heart. I said, Eddie, listen. I'm going to hang up. I'm going to call Mom. I dialed my mother, and there's that sweet boy. I'm tasting, folks. You better love your mama today while she's still around, or you'll regret it when she's gone from you. I called my little mother, and she answered the phone in such a sweet little voice. Hello. I said, Mom, it's Jim. She said, Hello, honey. I said, Mom, what do you, what do you mean telling Eddie my motorcycle is my God? She said, Jim, in the Bible. I said, Now, wait a minute, Mom. I done made a fool out of myself. But I don't want you to tell me about church. I don't want to hear anything from the Bible. I'm only asking you a question. What do you mean my motorcycle is my God? She said, well, honey, in the Bible. I said, Mom, can't you hear? Can't you understand? I don't want to talk about a Bible. I don't want to hear anything about your Jesus. I don't want to hear anything about church. Just explain to me what you meant by telling Eddie my motorcycle is my God. And she said, if you'll shut up a minute, Jim, I'll tell you. I said, okay. You know what she said? Jim, in the Bible, God says, anything you place before God, that's your God. And Jim, you have put that motorcycle before God, your mom, your dad, your wife, your child. That motorcycle is your God. I said, well, I guess if I came to church, it proved you different. She said, you're afraid to. I said, well, I'll be there. She said, thank you, bye. I had that phone stuck upside of my head, and I thought to myself, why, that little conniving mother, and I put it down. No one was on the other end of the line. She had me. How many of you have been trapped to come to church? Anybody like that? And you tried everything in your power to get away from it. Boy, I'm telling you, that week never passed so fast in my life. I dreaded it. I prayed. I didn't pray, but I would to God that I could have had an accident so I couldn't make it to church that Sunday. But Sunday rolled around, and I knew I was going to have to go to church in order to show Mom I'm not afraid of church. Man, let me tell you, I woke up that morning, and I was speeding, and I couldn't stand too much pressure, and so I dropped, or I swallowed three red devils. Red devils is for people who have insomnia and can't sleep. You take one red devil and fill your head, you'll sleep like a baby. But I took three red devils so I could come down off of the speed that I was shooting up. And man, it wasn't long before I, I started feeling the effects of that of the red devils. And I started going down and down and down. Hey, man, I'm going to church. <laughs> and there I was, man. I put on everything I knew that I could wear. I put on my Levi colors. I put a chain around my shoulder. I fluffed up my nasty, greasy, long hair. I butch waxed my Fu Manchu and my goatee. I had a Fu Manchu that hung an inch and a half off my little side of my little jaw. And I had a Fu Manchu, I had a goatee. You know, some of you, we don't have no beards here, but when you grow, we got one beard over there. But the longer you grow a beard, beard has sort of a tendency to curly, kinky up. What I used to do, I used to take that butch, and I'd have a whole handful of butch, and I'd manipulate that goatee. I'd wax it. I'd put it all together and make it spiral. I mean, spiral to a point. And after I had it spiral to a point, I'd stick it straight up in the air. Look so pretty. Knew I looked good. I got on that Harley Davidson and fired it up and headed for West Florissant Baptist Church in the city. Down Highway 70, off the exit of West Florissant, 
I got to the church, I jumped the curb and parked that chopper on the church lawn, and you should have seen them Baptist folks check that out. God is my witness. I'll never forget it, never seen him since, but I'll never forget a husband and his wife must have been. I saw them turn the corner, and when they saw me, they spun plumb around, went back, and I never saw them ever again. I walked into the church and played it so cool and sophisticated. I sat down in the back pew, just like the rest of you backsliders do back there. I slid it down and put my knees on the other pew and began to play with my Fu Manchu. You know, you can feel when someone's staring at you. There was a little old lady sitting on the other side of the church, and she looked and saw what came into her church, and she couldn't believe it. And I mean, those little eyes was burning alongside of my head. Her little husband, she almost killed him. She punched him up four times and pointed over that way, and he leaned over, and those four little eyes were sticking on the side of my head. About the time I knew that they were glued to me, I spun around and I looked at them. God let me turn their little heads, and they never did look back over at me ever again. And I laughed because I scared them old folks. There I am back in the back pew. I mean, I'm high with these three red devils. And all of a sudden, man, I thought I was hallucinating. A closet opened up on the platform, and out came 25, 30 people with blue robes and gold trim. I thought, wow, man. At about the end of that choir procession, I found out later it was a choir, here came my mother. When she stepped out of that closet, she began to look, and she saw me back there. I'm telling you, you talk about a Cheshire smile. Her smile, her face lit up. She looked at me, and I could see little tears already shining on her cheek, and she nodded to let her boy know she saw me. I believe with all my heart the only one who was glad I was in that church was my mama. And to this day, I'm not sure I'm not wrong. They sang an opening song, and all of a sudden, out of this other closet came what I thought to be a fat, bald-headed Billy Graham. He came and sat on the platform as they sang, and then when they were through singing, he got up and he said, My, it's great to be in the house of the Lord today. Now, we're going to enjoy ourselves, and everybody's going to behave, right? And I knew he was talking right at me. Then they had a special, and finally it came time for him to preach, and he walked up again to the pulpit. He said, this morning I'm going to preach to you on the good life and the bad life, the consequences and the destiny of the two. And first of all, I want to talk to you on the bad life. I found out later where his text was. He preached, there's a way that seemeth right unto the man, but the way thereof are death. He said, there's some of you here this morning living in such a bad life. And by the way, he preached about three minutes, and I knew that this was the biggest rip-off in all the world. My little mother had taken every dime she could scrounge up, and she paid that fat, bald-headed preacher to preach just to me. How many of you have been in the church and wished the preacher would talk to somebody else? You ever feel like he's just talking to you? And so he talked about the bad life. He talked about how stupid they were and how misled they were and how they're going to die and without Christ. And all of a sudden he said, And listen, if you die in that condition, you're going to go to hell. I felt like that little finger went across the pulpit and floating down the middle pew and I found that finger pointing right at me. I said to myself, Who does he think he is to tell me I'm going to hell? And I got mad. I thought, man, if I can get his attention, I'll give him an eyeball. So that little preacher, he preached over here for a while, and he preached over there for a while, and he got about middle way and about middle way here and back there, and finally he got me and I got him. I was back there blowing. 
And he kept on preaching. He said, that's right. That's right. If you don't get right, you'll go to hell. And I bowed my head and I wasn't going to look at him anymore. Well, if he had that much nerve to say that twice, just let him go on and say it. He said, but you hear me. You hear me. I talked a little bit about a bad life. He said, but I want you to know that Jesus said, I have come that you might have life, that you might have it more abundantly. There's a good life. In place in the midst of all the bad life, there's a good life. He said, I know for a fact there's some of you don't believe anything I'm saying, but I want you to know that Jesus loves you. And by the way, if I can show you a personal relationship between Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and you, would you listen to me? That caught my attention. I thought to myself, how in the world can he bring any relationship between Jesus Christ and me? He said, the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means everyone that's in this building, everyone that's outside this building, everyone that's ever been born, everyone that will ever be born, they are sinners. And he said, and so am I. He said, the Bible says that God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He said, here's a relationship. Everyone in this world, including you and including me, everyone in this world are sinners. And Jesus died for every sinner that's ever been in this world or ever will be in this world. And the relationship is this, that Jesus died just for you. By the way, that's good preaching, y'all. That you may not receive him and you may not believe him, but he died just for you. And all one has to do to receive that life is to ask the life giver and he'll save you. And he preached a little more. Then all of a sudden with about 450 people in that church, he said, every head bowed and every eye closed. And man, you talk about a man with power. Everybody bowed their head and closed their eyes. There I felt like an idiot. I was the only one looking, so I bowed my head too. He said, listen to me. There's some of you this morning without Christ, without the good life. And if you died in that condition, you'll bust hell wide open. He said, but thank God the majority of those that are gathered here have received the good life. He said, how many of you here this morning could give a testimony unto the Lord that you know that you're going to heaven when you die? Raise your hand. And I heard rustling all over that church. He said, all right, put your hands down. He said, I notice." Not everyone raised their hand, and I thought to myself, uh-oh. He said, if you're here this morning and you're not certain heaven's your home, would you raise your hand? And I stuck my hand straight up in defiance. And I'll never forget the words he said. He said, I see those hands. I thought, those hands? I only got one up. And I put it down, and then, you talk about paranoid. That church had a glass foyer. You could stand outside, huge area in that Southern Baptist church, huge area, and it had a glass for you to see into the auditorium, but you would not disturb it. And I got to thinking, man, my gang has followed me, and they're back there in the back with their hands up in the air. I became so paranoid. Then he said, I'm going to pray for you. He said, said some little simple prayer in Jesus' name, amen. He said, everyone stand to your feet. And I stood, and I saw my little mother. She came out of that choir and she began to openly, I mean, sob. You could hear my mother crying. I was in the back of the church. I could hear my mother crying. She came out of there sobbing and threw herself on the altar and I heard her start mumbling. I said, man, what in the world is going on now? 
He said, if you're here this morning, you'd like to know heaven's your home, you'd like to get some things right with God, won't you come pray and take this opportunity to get it right with God? And they said, we're going to sing a verse of Just As I Am. They sang a verse of Just As I Am and another verse. I believe they sang Just As I Am 487 and a half times. But when they started singing Just As I Am, people started coming out of the pew and coming to the altar and, and kneeling down. And they sang Just As I Am without one plea. There I am back in the back saying, man, if I can just get out of here. He said, all right, every head bowed, every eye closed. Every head bowed and every eye closed. And they all bowed their head and I guess closed their eyes. And I'm back there, so I bowed my head and closed my eyes. I'd not been in the church that I can ever remember. But I had heard about these holy rollers. I had heard about how holy rollers would come and drag you out of the pew and bring you to the front. I'm back there thinking about the holy rollers coming after me. And I couldn't stand it. And so, man, I thought if anybody comes and touches me, I'll bust out their headlamps, man. So the pressure became too great, and so I began to peek. I turned and I peeked over this way. And then I turned and I peeked over this way. You know what I found? I found a bunch of them Baptists. They were peeking at me and I was peeking at them. How many of you were peeking invitation? Anybody coming or anything? He said, he said, listen to me. God loves you and God wants to save you. And there's some here that needs to respond. You need to come. We're going to sing just another verse of just as I am. And he's beginning to pray, Lord, save them that are lost. Help those that are weak. In Jesus' name, amen. And I began to sing, my mother at the altar crying, praying. I thought it was mumbling, but she was praying. They started singing that just as I am, and I stepped out of the back pew. I started coming down the aisle, and God is my witness. His eyes, preacher's eyes, got that big. He wasn't afraid. He was excited. I came down that center aisle. He left the platform, and he met me right there at the front pew. He stuck his hand out, and I, not even knowing what I was doing, put my hand in his hand. He shook my hand. He said, young man, why have you come? I looked at him. I have all eyes on. I said, you mean to tell me there's a better life? He said, son, I don't care what you've done or what you plan on doing. God loves you, and he wants to give you a good life. And he scared me to death. I said, dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. I ask that you forgive me. I ask that you forgive me. And save my soul and save my soul. I'm putting my trust in you. I'm putting my trust in you in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And then the preacher thanked God for saving me. Listen to me, church. I never heard any flutter of angel wings. I never heard any chimes go off. But that Sunday morning, almost 16 years ago, with hell's angels on my back, drugs, in my system, God saved my soul. I've not been the same since. I thank God and I praise His holy name. I've never yet, and I say, I say thank you, Lord. I've not had any withdrawal symptoms. The day God saved me, and they put another needle in my arm. I've never had any flashbacks or reoccurrences on acid or LSD. And from this day to this day, I've been serving God. I'm glad there's a God that can take a dope, a notorious president of a motorcycle gang. I'm glad that he can clean up that man's life and give him life worth living. You say, Preacher, could you explain it a little more? I can't. 
Listen to me. If I could explain it that you could understand it, then it would no longer be of God, it would be of man. But because it's supernatural, it's unexplainable, but you can experience it. You, my precious brother and my sweet sister, listen to me. You're one of God's trophies. And I want to tell you what all of us needs to do tonight. I don't care. We've got several preachers here, and thank God for these preacher boys. But can I tell you what we need to do tonight? If we are God's trophy, I don't care how long you've been God's trophy. If we are God's trophy, you know what we need to do tonight? We need to have God shine us up. Did you hear me? We need God to take the dust off of us that we might shine again, that God might take us down and say, look what my trophy is. Never was a good man It was much the other way I know how it feels To want to give up on some days And I might hold the record For the most mistakes made But to a man called Jesus I'm a trophy of grace No, I don't deserve all this love that comes my way And anyone who really knows me still can't believe that I'm okay And you may never find In some old hall of fame But he's got a place to put me Cause I'm his trophy of grace Now it's just in our nature To wander outside the line pain and disappointment It makes its way into our lives But unmerited favor It conquers all our sin and shame oh, When we become God's treasure and Satan's prize is torn away And no, I don't deserve All this love that comes my way Oh, and anyone who really knows me Still can't believe that I'm okay Some old Hall of Fame 
got a place to put me Cause I'm his trophy of We don't like to close any program without offering you the chance to give God your heart. So pray with me right now. Just a simple little prayer. Pray, Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Lord, I surrender all to you. I want to give you my heart right now, Lord. And then I want you to mold me into the person that you want me to be. Help me to live for you from this day forward. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. God bless you all. And remember, God loves you and we do too. Here's Dennis McKay with At the Foot of the Tree. At the crossroads of life Lost without hope Eighteen wheels of lonesome At the end of the road In my hand was a track The preacher had read His words still echoing In the back of my head I felt so ashamed When I thought of my past I called his name This chance would it be my last Then I saw Jesus Hanging on that tree I lifted up my heart From down on my knees Today I met Jesus At the foot of the cross Broken hearted and lonesome So long I've been lost I left a lifetime of misery At the foot of the tree Those eighteen wheels are rolling that old lonesome road And I shared the good news Wherever I go Yes, there's been a change I'm not the man I used to be And I tell everybody What's happened to me How I felt so ashamed When I thought of my past but I called his name This chance Could it be my last Then I saw Jesus Hanging on that tree And I lifted up my heart From down on my knees Today I met Jesus At the foot of the cross Broken hearted and lonesome So long I've been lost I left a lifetime of misery 
the foot of the tree Then I saw Jesus hanging on that tree I lifted up my heart from down on my knees Today I met Jesus at the foot of the cross Broken hearted and lonesome So long I'd been lost I left a lifetime of misery At the foot of the tree 